Blog Talk Radio. visibility. 
Ominously, however, the FSB further states that they have discovered unaccountable discrepancy between the information recovered from the plane's flight data recorder and the control tower appearing to show this aircraft was seripitously directed into the path of the snow removal machine. The important thing, though, is this um, fellow, Christopher Dramagari, who is the only passenger on the jet, who is the head of Total, that uh, oil company, had said earlier on that um, oil didn't need to be traded in dollars, and you didn't need dollars, and um, that you could have any currency. Okay. Uh, the FSB notes the Total and Novatech together have a $21 billion project, it's actually a $27 billion project, to develop an LNG project in Yamal in the Russian Arctic that should start producing in 2017. The field's proven reserves are estimated at around 800 million barrels of oil. To the actions and motivations of state actors in seeking to assassinate Christopher Jamagari, the bulletin says, was a meeting he had just concluded with the Prime Minister Dmitry Medvedev, wherein Total and its partner, Russia's largest independent oil and gas producer, Novatex, would begin selling oil and liquid natural gas, gas in either euros or rubles, and not U.S. dollars. Hmm. Okay. Um, here's something this I is written very awkwardly, I have to say, this article. Yeah. Um, the news junkie, all right, this is from the news junkie. The imperative of revolt, and this, this is by uh, Chris uh, Hedges, who's a uh, you know, war reporter and so on, but he's, he's, he's pretty much like a, He's become kind of a defender of the Occupy Wall Street movement, even though it's still pretty much uh, getting clouded. Let me just finish this. Total CEO Christopher Demagory further enraged the, the Obama re regime when this past June, while responding to questions about calls by French policymakers to find ways at the EU level to bolster the use of the euro in international business following a record U.S. fine on BNP Parabas S.A., France's biggest bank, stated, there is no reason to pay for oil in dollars. He further said that the fact that oil prices are quoted in dollars per barrel did not mean the payments actually had to be made in that currency. The FSB historical addendums to their bulletin note that the petrodollar system was put into place after President Richard Nixon shocked the global economy on the 15th of August, 1971, when he officially ended the international convertibility from U.S. dollars into gold, therefore bringing an official end to the Bretton Woods arrangement that stabilized the global economy in the aftermath of World War II. Two years later, in an effort to maintain global demand for U.S. dollars, another system was created called the petrodollar system. And in 1973, a deal was struck between Saudi Arabia and the United States 
which every barrel of oil purchased from the Saudis will be dominated in U.S. dollars. Under this new arrangement, any country that sought to purchase oil from Saudi Arabia would be required to first exchange their own national currency for U.S. dollars in exchange for Saudi Arabia's willingness to dominate their oil sales exclusively in U.S. dollars the U.S. offered weapons and protections of their oil fields from neighboring nations, including Israel. In 1975, all of the OPEC nations had agreed to price their oil supplies exclusively in U.S. dollars in exchange for weapons and military protection. The petrodollar system, or simply known as oil for dollar system, created an immediate artificial demand for U.S. dollars around the globe. As global oil demand increased, so did demand for U.S. dollars, a scheme that enables America to stay afloat despite being nearly $18 trillion in debt. The existence of petrodollars, the FSB notes, is one of the pillars of America's economic might because it creates a significant external demand for the American currency, allowing the U.S. to accumulate enormous debt without default. With Russia now being demonized and sanctioned by the Obama regime due to its policy of removing the U.S. dollar from oil gas purchases. This FSB bulletin concludes, France has now joined with Iraq, Libya, Syria, and Iran in suffering the wrath of daring to go against the petrodollar as the assassination of total CEO Christopher de Marjorie proves beyond all doubt the horrific lengths the U.S. will go in order to protect this rapidly deteriorating economy. So. Oh, you done? Yeah. yeah. That's kind of interesting to me how they would do that. But, you know, I, you know, one little schmo, to set an example, I mean, you don't want to crush the American economy. Uh-uh. You know what I mean? It didn't I mean, take it long to have him snuffed out. No, and you know what? <laughs> I can't blame it. You know, if I was in power, I'd have to do the same thing because he was he was about to to, uh, to, to stabilize the whole world. the whole world economy. And he had to be killed. Okay, and on top of that, well, you know, all those you. other countries who who wanted to screw around with it. I mean, it gave uh, it told you don't mess with the best, babe. Does that sound cool? I think don't mess with the United States. Just don't mess with us, man. We 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 bailed your asses out already. You know what I mean? We bailed out every goddamn country in the last uh, 10 years, all right? And uh, protecting them still from terrorists, all right, of their own making. So it's like, I, you know, this is something that I think is important to third because this is the imperative of a revolt, okay? This is written by uh, Christopher Hedges. And he's kind of like the guardian angel or guardian journalist. He's a smart guy. He's a guardian journalist for the Wall Street uh, Occupy uh, He's mm. taking up their cause as a, well, I know, like him. As a banner. And I, I, I think so, too. But protesters chant as they are arrested at the intersection of Wall Street and Broad Street in New York on September 22nd. The protesters, many of whom were affiliated with Occupy Wall Street, were pointing to a connection between capitalism and environmental destruction. Uh, Toronto, I met with Sheldon S. Uh, Wollen in Salem, Oregon, uh, and John Ralston Saul in Toronto and asked the two political philosophers the same question. If, as Saul has written, we have 
undergone a corporate coup d'etat and now live under a species of corporate dictatorships that Wallens calls inverted totalitarianism. Mm. If the internal mechanisms that once made piecemeal and incremental reform possible remain ineffective, if corporate power retains its chokehold on our economy and governance, including our legislative bodies, judiciary, and systems of information, and if these corporate forces are able to use the security and surveillance apparatus and militarized police forces to criminalize dissent, how will change occur and what will it look like? Wolin, who wrote the books uh, Politics and Vision and Democracy Incorporated, said Basal, who wrote Voltaire's Bastards uh, and Unconscious uh, Civilization, see democratic rituals and institutions, especially in the United States, as largely a facade for unchecked global corporate power. For Wolin and Saul, uh, ex, uh, excoriate academics, intellectuals, and journalists charging they have uh, abrogated their calling to expose abuses of power and give voice to social criticism. They instead function as echo chambers for elites, courtiers, and uh, corporate system managers. Neither have, believes their current economic system is sustainable and each calls for mass movements willing to carry out repeated acts of civil disobedience to disrupt and delegitimize corporate power. If you continue to go down the, ro the road, he, he quotes, if you continue to go down the road, wrong road, at a certain point something happens, so I'll say, uh, during our meeting uh, where he lives at, uh, in Toronto. Uh, at a certain point when the financial system is wrong, it falls apart, and it did, and it will fall apart again. And the collapse started in 1973, so I'll continue. There were a series of sequential collapses afterwards. And the fascinating thing is that between 1850 and 1970, we put in place all sorts of mechanisms to stop collapses, which we can call liberalism, uh, social democracy, or red Toryism. It was an understanding that we can't have boom and bust cycles. We can't have poverty-stricken people. We can't have starvation. The reason today's collapses are not leading to what happened in the 18th century and 19th century is because of all of these safety nets, although under attack, um, are still in place. But these, but each time we have a collapse, we come out of it, uh, stripping more of the protection away. At a certain point, we will find ourselves back in the pre-protection period, at which period... Uh, we will get a collapse that will be incredibly dramatic. I have no idea what it will look like. A revolution from the left, a revolution from the right. Is it violence followed by state violence? Is it a collapse of the meaning, uh, last meaningful edges of democracy? Is it a sudden decision by a critical mass of people that they are not going to take it anymore? This devolution of the economic system has been accompanied by a corporation seized uh, seizure of nearly all forms of political and social power. The corporate elite, through a puppet political class and compliant intellectuals, pundits, and press, still employs the language of a capitalist democracy, but what has arisen is a new kind of control, inverted totalitarianism, which Roland Brilliant dissects in his book, Democracy Incorporated. Inverted totalitarianism does not replicate past totalitarian structures such as fascism and communism, it is therefore harder to immediately identify and understand. There is no blustering demagogue 
There is no triumphant revolutionary party. So, you know, this is what you you got to know. There's no heroes out there in this stuff, right? Yeah. There's no heroes in, that, in, in, in this except the, the poor activists that are out there because we're fighting against the totalitarian, intilitarian state, I guess it's called intilitarian. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> so, anyway, that aside, you should know. That's at down. Check that one out. Oops. You'll enjoy it. Uh, I don't know. A few finance concerns gets the news. Okay. Well, well, I had a good article, but it's too. It's written too awkwardly. What, what was it? It's on uh, Putin warns of a nuclear war over... Obama Ebola apocalypse. It's just written so awkwardly you could you wouldn't even be able to understand really? it. Really? Oh, I don't know who's written, written by a Russian. I don't know who's written Sometimes these articles. by the Ministry of Natural Resources and Environment circulating in the Kremlin today shockingly states that the Obama regime is remaining completely silent on the polio outbreak currently sweeping through the American heartland and has to date refused to share their data on this feared enterovirus epidemic with other global experts and scientists. According to this report, Nearly 2,000 American children in U.S. states of Colorado, Missouri, Kansas, Illinois, Kentucky, Iowa, Ohio, Oklahoma, North Carolina, and Georgia have been struck down by the polio enterovirus in the past month, with Denver Children's Hospital alone stating that they have treated more than 900 children for this disease since the 18th of August. To the rapid spread of this outbreak, this report continues. Dr. William Schaffner, an infectious disease expert at Vanderbilt University, stated this past week, I don't believe we've ever had an outbreak this extensive before. Even though the report does note that the U.S. Center for Disease Control and Prevention has identified enterovirus EVD-68 as being the disease of infecting children, it has failed to inform the American public that of the 66 human enteroviruses known, this particular one is the one most associated with the polio virus and the cause of the dreaded poliomyelitis, which is also called polio or infantile paralysis. Most, most dangerous about this polio enterovirus currently striking American children uh, this report said, is it's a high mutation rate. Uh, it takes over the DNA and makes copies of itself. Due to low fidelity replication and frequent recombination, all of which prevent the development of an effective virus. Most critical to be asked of the Obama regime relating to this current polio outbreak, this report continues, are why quarantine measures were not undertaken by the U.S. 
this past February when 25 children in California were struck down and paralyzed by the disease before it could spread into the American heartland. In outlining this history of the dreaded enterovirus, scientists grimly note in this report that the historical similarities between this current American outbreak and that of the early 20th century are highly alarming and that they both had their genesis in the wine and vegetable agricultural regions of California. Among the earliest polio outbreaks last century were three California clusters in the agricultural epicenter of the San Joaquin Valley and the San Francisco area and the wine-growing Napa Valley. Locals under intensive commercial farming and the early use of pesticide lead hydrogen arsenate in fruits and vegetables where this pesticide was believed to have caused damage that allowed the polio enterovirus to penetrate the nervous system and reach the spinal cord where it called the, which caused the paralysis called poliomyelitis. So it's involved, it seemed to be involved with some pesticides. Critical to note, this report says, were that major polio epidemics were unknown before the 20th century. And localized paralytic polio epidemics only began to appear in Europe and the U.S. around 1900 with the expanding use of pesticide and crop production. Uh, the first, and then it goes into the history of, of these cases. So, um, let's see. To the current polio epidemic sweeping America, this report warns that the polio pesticide link cannot be ruled out as the current clusters being reported are all in agricultural regions that either have been spraying or harvesting what are called Monsanto Roundup-ready crops, which include Roundup-ready alfalfa, Roundup-ready soybeans, and more than 400,000 pounds of Roundup pesticides applied to California wine grapes. To the American people being able to protect their children from this current polio epidemic it is not likely, this report sadly concludes, as President Obama last year signed a bill called the Monsanto Protection Act that effectively bars U.S. federal courts from being able to halt the sale or planting of Monsanto's Roundup-ready crops. No matter what health consequences from the consumption of these products or the use of this pesticide may come to light in the future. I, I don't know how... That could be yeah. permissible how, how to sign a bill like this. Yeah, it just tells you what kind of schmuck Obama is, you know. That's why when he went to Maryland, people got up and left they when he began booed. to... They booed and got up and left, yeah. Yeah, why should know. they stay and listen to that guy? That's really scary. And you don't hear too much on the press, because I had read earlier and I had told you that it was related to the polio virus. Yeah. Well, here's something interesting, too. Obama's Ebola czar thinks there's too many people in Africa. Oh, how interesting. Yeah. And he thinks uh, So he's personally going to take care of it? Is that it? Yeah, he's going to kill them all. With his Ebola. Nice. Let, me, let me show you this. Because what it is, is there's a little video. I'll, I'll, I'll play the audio of it. Yeah. And then there's, and then there's a, uh, an article. So it's kind of... It's not very long, but... Amazing. Repeat a lot of this. So let, let, let's go to the... Um, 
I think the um, I, I think the top was how do you continue growing population in the world and all the resource demands places on the world and uh, burgeoning populations in Africa and Asia uh, that lack the resources to have a healthy, happy life. And I think we've got to find a way to make the world work for everyone. Uh, climate change is an issue that impacts that greatly by making it harder for people to live where they live, uh, by causing disruption and a lack of resources. But that's just one of the issues. There are other issues, too. And I think that um, uh, the days when uh, Americans could just be focused on America and not really be engaged in the world or, or past our economy is too dependent on events overseas, our political system is dependent on events overseas, uh, and I think that we've got to be engaged in the world in dealing with these tremendous issues of, of, of resources, of dislocation, and of human prosperity and survival in other parts of the world. And I would say going back to sort of how... Uh, what do you say? This guy's name is Quain, okay? Um, What's his name? Robert Ron Quain. Is an enthusiastic advocate of population control who thinks that there are too many people in Africa. Klein's role in overseeing the United States' response to a virus that has killed thousands of Africans and threatens to infect up to 10,000 a week by December 1st is somewhat disconcerting given his view on overpopulation. In a recent interview, Klein said the top leadership issue challenging the world today is how to deal with the continuing growing population in the world. Well, why don't you just kill yourself, right, including burgeoning populations in Africa and Asia? Critics have attacked uh, Obama's decision to appoint Klain as a political spokesman, pointing out that the former chief of staff to Al Gore has no medical experience or expertise. He was also the chief of staff to um, um, Joe Biden. And also... Uh, although Klan claim is by no means championing Ebola as a means of reducing world population, other prominent individuals have done precisely that, most notably award-winning Texas scientist Dr. Eric Pianca, the UT professor who in 2006 um, advocated the use of weaponized airborne Ebola as a means of wiping out nine-tenths of the Earth's population to save the planet from humanity's wrath. <laughs> what, a, what a psychopath. Uh, what a sociopathic nutball. Uh -huh. The Obama administration, and, and they gave this guy grants and put him up in the university. Unbelievable. And the Obama administration linked to authorization, um, or rather authoritarian ideas about population control was firmly established back in 2009 when it was revealed that White House science czar John B. Holdren, P. Holdren, had co-authored a 1977 book in which he advocated the formation of a planetary regime that would use a global police force to enforce the totalitarian measures of population control, including forced abortion, mass sterilization programs conducted via the food and water supply, as well as mandatory body implants that would prevent couples from having children. They're already doing this stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. All right. Many of the left continue to embrace uh, hysteria over, over, about overpopulation, but the figures just don't back up the hype. The UN Population Division owns fi figures show that by 2020, 
population is set to stabilize and then drop dramatically after 2050. In reality, underpopulation is going to be the real long-term issue. As the economists reported, fertility is falling and families are shrinking in places such as Brazil, Indonesia, and parts of India. And um, people, that people think of as teeming with children. As our briefing shows, the fertility rate of half the world is now 2.1 or less. And the magic number that is consistent with a stable population and is usually called the replacement rate of fertility. Sometimes uh, between 2020 and 2050, the world's infertility rate will fall below the global replacement rate. Right? So that's what's going to happen, folks. You know, everybody's going to lose their ability to produce, reproduce. Okay. The war against Syria. It's hard to believe, but it is nevertheless true, that just one year ago this month, the world was celebrating because the Obama regime and its war hawk allies were stopped dead in their tracks on their plan to start a new war against Syria, and by extension, World War III. Because the lab for the September 2013 war against Syria, used by Obama regime and its allies, was a deadly chemical gas attack upon hundreds of Syrian civilians by the re regime of Bashar al-Assad. This blatant lie was quickly exposed by many, including the world-famous investigative journalist Seymour Hersh, who in his scathing report on this chemical attack proved it was actually carried out by Syrian rebel forces acting on the behest of Turkey for the purpose of providing a pretext for the U.S. attack on Syria. Mind you, not one single major American or British news organization reported the truth of this deadly chemical attack to their citizens. Rather, it was left to us conspiracy theorists to make sure the truth was told. And thankfully, enough people heard the truth and stopped the madness, but only for a while. Now, at this point, it's critical that I remind you of what really is going on here and why Syria is so important. And we've likewise told you many times before. There is now an existential crisis in our world between the United States and the European Union, Russia, China, and all their respective allies <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> over the future of the global economy, specifically what is going to be the reserve currency of the 21st century for the purchase of oil and gas. Currently, the global reserve currency is the U.S. dollar, which allows the Federal Reserve to literally print money to support not only their economy, but that of the European Union, too, so much so that just during one week alone in 2011, the Federal Reserve kept 523 EU banks from collapsing by giving them $638 billion. Russia and China have a it big... Was much more than that. It was much more than that. It was, it was $16 trillion. Yeah. Russia and China have a big problem with the U.S. and the EU making money out of nothing and then using the monetary power to bull everyone else they disagree with. So this past May, they signed a historic $400 billion deal that prices gas in their currencies instead of the U.S. dollar. Both the U.S. and the EU are now terrified that Russia is going to begin demanding payment for both oil and gas in either rubles or Chinese yen. And this is exactly what Russia did last month when for the first time it 
started selling oil for rubles instead of U.S. dollars. And when Russia tells the 28 member states of the European Union and their 505 million citizens to stop paying for gas and oil in anything other than U.S. dollars, well, the answer is simple. The U.S. will stand exposed for the hypocritical nation it has become. And what is the only thing the U.S. can do to stop this? Simple. They have to completely take over Syria. If the U.S. is successful in taking over Syria, then they can build the pipelines they need from both Qatar and Saudi Arabia, connect them to the new pipelines in Turkey, extend them into the EU, and then the Europeans and Americans can keep U.S. dollars as the reserve currency of the 21st century and keep the printing presses running. Russia, in case you haven't noticed, isn't taking this threat lying down either as it continues to extend its pipeline network with the Southern Stream Pipeline that bypasses Ukraine and will ensure the EU has gas supplies well into this century. In order to protect the U.S. dollar, the Americans have sided with the most brutal bunch of Islam called the Sunnis. Russia, on the other hand, in order to protect its economy, has sided with the more moderate Islamic branch called Shiites. The U.S. protected Sunnis, their Arabs, they run governments that are composed of kings, imams, and military dictators, who do not allow their citizens to vote or their women to have absolutely no rights. They forget that Saddam Hussein was the leader of the Sunnis. Uh-huh. He was the guy. Well, they killed him. They, they killed him. Like they, him they, didn't want, they didn't want him. Now they got him back again. They find, oh, yeah, the Sunnis are the best. Yeah. you got to decide with them. They're the Russian-protected the Shiites, the Persian governments, are composed of theocracies like Israel, but do not allow their citizens to vote, their women to have limited rights. That would be Iran, Syria, Lebanon, and now Iraq. The U.S. protected Sunnis comprise nearly 70% of Islamic terrorists worldwide. The Russian protected Shiites, on the other hand, really ever attack Western interests, using their capacities instead against Sunni terrorist groups. Now with the Obama regime having failed to start the Ethereum war last year after their lives were exposed to the whole world, they came back in 2014 with a much more devious plan, the number one component being to keep Russia sidelined. Toward this end in February, they toppled the democratically elected government of the Ukraine and installed the right-wing neo-Nazi government to which Russia promptly responded. At the same time, along with Qatar and Saudi Arabia, the Obama regime created, trained, and funded the terrorist group known as ISIL and allowed them to rampage throughout both Syria and Iraq and then labeled them an existential threat and is currently waging war against them along with EU allies and the Sunni monarchy lapdogs. What is most astounding thing, though, about this whole mess you are not allowed by either your government or your press to know even the most basic truth about what is going on. Pipelines, reserve currency, petrodollars, Sunni Shiites, none of these are you allowed to know about, even though your future depends on it. And this is really a serious stuff, so serious that Pope Francis warned last week 
that all of us are effectively in a peace world, piecemeal third world war, and it's going to get a whole lot worse before it gets better. So with the failing of both your government and press to even keep the most you most basically informed, it falls upon people like us to keep the truth flowing. Okay. Oh. Um. Pretty scary. Yeah. A lot of interesting stuff. 21 U.S. cities are strict sharing food with the homeless people. And, Why uh, is that? Well, they, they've been doing that for quite a while. I right? do sort of remember we read yeah, that before. Yeah, they started before. doing that. And uh, it's just, I don't know, they just want to, it's bricks. Yeah. Well, where do they want them to go? Out of their state? Uh, yeah, probably out of their state. You want me to read that a little bit? Yeah. But the, the other thing was, everyone's heard about the Hong There hasn't been a lot of reporting on it. But the Hong Kong uh, Revolution there. Yeah. Okay. And uh, one spokesman says that, uh, that Hong Kong has too many poor people to allow direct elections, the leader says. Hmm. Right? I thought that was really interesting. Right? But uh, yeah, we'll talk about that. Because, we're, I mean, the United States is, is, is beginning to get uh, poor. So what are they going to do, stop elections here? Well, probably. Probably. Well, right. w- wasn't it the uh, that... Um our former senator, Lieberman, he admired what the Chinese did with the Internet. Oh, he admired the Chinese. Oh, yeah, that was great. He wanted to bring all their restrictions over here, their repressive government. So yeah, he liked like, that. You know, it's funny. Is neither Democrat or Republican could stand him. Right? He became an independent. The only Lieberworms support Lieberworms, and he was the worst. But anyway, here we, I want to read this um, I thought this was kind of interesting. Um, well, let's go to let me bring out the whole article. Uh, yeah, 21 U.S. cities restrict sharing food with homeless people. In the uh, United States, 21 cities have restricted uh, sharing food with homeless people through legislation or community pressure since January 13, uh, 2013. About 10 other cities are in the process of doing so, the National Coalition for the Homeless said in a report released Monday. says, one of the most narrow-minded ideas when it comes to homelessness and food sharing is that sharing food with people in need enables them to remain homeless, the report said. The report was released by a day before Fort Lauderdale, Florida, was set to vote on the city's third ordinance this year that will target the life-sustaining activities of people Experiencing homelessness, um, uh, and the news release. If the biggest crimes we had to worry about in this country were sitting, sleeping in public places, and eating and sharing food, we would be in a freaking good state," said Paul Bowden, director of Western Regional Advocacy Project, the organization that launched the Homeless Bill of Rights campaign, an ongoing movement to introduce legislation in California and Oregon to overturn local laws targeted to remove people from public places. Two, you know, it's interesting. California and Oregon, they, they, they were two of the most liberal states in uh, during the 60s and 70s. And, 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 oh. and then they turned right-wing in, in the 80s when they, when they took over, uh, or 90s rather, when they, uh, or 80s, when they had uh, 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 Ronald Reagan. Yeah. Right? And then they had, uh, what's his face? Their... Uh, uh, Schwarzenegger, right? And, 
Yeah, and Oregon, Oregon turned kind of wacko too. You know, mm-hmm. they they were a very progressive state, and you know, he would think Oregon and California would have been the two biggest states to to approve uh, marijuana. You know. Yeah, one would think. You think they would go boom right away, but no, they they haven't yet. They're still working on medical marijuana in California. That's and unbelievable, it's isn't it? Well, uh, uh, there are so many marijuana farms in uh, in California, but um, the NH the NCH reports outline different means by which various jurisdictions allegedly restrict food sharing. One is the passage of laws requiring a permit to distribute food in public places such as parks. Another is a requirement to comply with a stringent food safety regulation, the report said. A third means, the most uh, difficult to measure according to NCH, involves community-level restrictions imposed by homeowners and businesses that do not want homeless people in their backyard. Well, I can understand that. You know what I mean? That I can understand. But this takes the form of pressuring food distribution organizations to either stop their activities or to relocate their programs to other areas that homeless people are not attracted to their communities. I think they got a point there, Lana. What do you think? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it, it's, they should have a place like a, either a church or something where people can go, you know what I mean? Yeah, I think they, Rather yeah. than feed them on the street in a go-kart, you know, it's not too cool, or the back of a bicycle. Well, I think it, sh- it should be clean. Yeah, there's a lot of the food maybe not be clean, sanitary, could be old crap somebody threw out, you know. Uh, you know, restaurants, uh, you know, get rid of their stuff after a while. Regardless of income and housing status, people are going to perform these activities, like sharing and eating food. But only a homeless person is going to see the inside of a jail cell for performing these activities. Both said, adding that local governments are passing laws that they know people uh, are going to break. One in six people struggle to get enough to eat in the United States, according to Feed America, an organization that works toward it. Well, what's happening, though, is they're closing these churches where they where they used yeah, to feed yeah, people, yeah, and they're of, forcing yeah, them to close. That's like not that. right. Yeah, Those places kit. were very clean. The soup kitchens and all that kind of stuff. No, yeah, they, so had, they had health standards. Uh-huh. Uh, they had good health standards in yeah. So I'm not exactly sure what that's all about. Mm. I don't see it. Probably because some somebody wants, feels that they're uh, detracting from the real estate value. And somebody wants oh, to yeah, buy that property to that. put a big business in. Oh, maybe or buy a whole bunch and uh, uh-huh. you know at a low price while they were there. They were useful. They were useful when they were there because they defaulted the price of the real estate. Now that the real estate is at rock bottom price, they want to throw them out, buy it up, and put up something else there. There you go. That's usually the way that stuff works. I hate to be so cynical, Leo. Well, that's the way it operates. Oh, Greece is in full blown stock market collapse. Oh my God. Okay. As I didn't realize that. Yeah. Again? I, or still? No, I, they were in banking collapse, not a stock market collapse. Oh, oh yeah, that's a little bit different. Yeah. Sorry. Well, this came out last week, and it's, uh, oh, Jesus. Somebody doesn't like this. Somebody didn't want you to have that. Hmm. I wonder why. Hmm. The stock market collapse? Why would the that be? The stock market collapsing, yeah. I don't know. It must have been sensitive material. Well, let me go. I was, I was just changing my site to go to DavidIke.com. That's not DavidIke. No, I'm just going to DavidIke.com. Oh, well, I wanted to finish reading that. If we could get on it again. 
Well, you get on it and. Uh, it was on the. What's really happening? I don't you want me to go to that? If you don't mind, because yeah, um, you, you I don't know how else to other stage. You know, if somebody's whacking me now, uh, that means that they're connected to probably the network blog talk. <coughs> or they're, yeah, they're, they're, they're probably connected somehow. And they're on the, the, the feed, even though it doesn't show. Yeah. Anybody on the uh, on the phones or uh, on whatever, hmm. but it could be easily they just whack you. Okay, what was you? They don't like me reading things like that. They, I don't know why. Okay, what were you on? Must be sensitive material. What was the article? Um, where are you? Then?
right, we're back. And uh, I wanted to tell you about see, uh, Greece is in full-blown stock market collapse. Uh, we got collapsed there when I when I started reading this, but it's we're going to. It must be very important to whoever to not uh, get it. So if you're interested. Uh, go to the businessinsider.com, okay, and you'll find out about it. Um, the October 15th article. Um, as if the world didn't have enough to be worried about, ISIS, Ebola, slow, slowing China, Ukraine, so slowing Germany, Fed, and tightening, etc. Now look back. Uh, what's back? Greece, and in a big way. The stock market is down over 9% on Wednesday, which is about as big as this crash has come, and the banks are getting absolutely smashed. Greek banks, yikes, today, NBG uh, minus 13%, Furious 14%, minus Alpha, the payroll bank, minus 20%. Um, it says, Greece, which has been calm for a while, is now being racked by two separate but related things. One is the rise in the political popularity of left-wing uh, Alexis uh, Prey, the leader of the Syriza, Syriza party, uh, who, if he ever got elected to power, would have much more confrontational stance with the rest of the Eurozone with regards to austerity. Meanwhile, a rift is growing between the current Greek government and the rest of the EU as Greece is keen to exit its bailout program. The EU is not so sure. So now the Greek market is getting crushed. Here's the chart slowing the nosedive, and this is before Wednesday's move. Whoa, not too attractive. Okay, and it's not just stocks. Here's the deteriorating bond market. All right, and now watch. Nine animated maps will change to see the way you see the world. And uh, I don't. That's, that's a difficult one to play, but um, let's just see. If what it has to say here. It changes much. Larry likes. Oh, forget that. What's wrong with this? Huh? Well, they always have an ad. I, I just thought yeah, you can't shut them off and you don't know how long they last. So, you're better off not even bothering. Know what I mean? Know what I mean? Control could rest on one of the reddest of red states. Well, here's an interesting one. Uh, Rothschilds target Brazil's central bank. Huh. So I'll go ahead. Uh, yeah. I'm just trying to bring up that article. It's from The Death of Money, America Free Press. International bankers are financing. Brazilian Socialist Party presidential candidate Marina Silva against Brazil's current president Dilma Rousseff in an effort to to um, oh boy Let me get a thing in the middle of here sorry folks yeah yeah I can't okay. get it Senate control could rest on one of the reddest of red states, and the GOP is making a huge comeback. This is what scares me this year. Republican leaders have a new regular stop on their travel schedules these days. Iowa, New Hampshire, and Kansas. 
On the crisp October day, U.S. Senator Pat Roberts has brought in another member of the Republican Party's all-star campaign team to stand by his side and rally his base. Senator Ted Cruz and Tom Coburn, uh, former Florida Governor Jeb Bush and Kansas' uh, own former Senator Bob Dole have all shown up for an appearance with a friend in trouble. On this day, Robert's guest is Republican Paul Ryan uh, from Wisconsin and the uh, current chair of the Budget, House, uh, Budget Committee, likely the future chair of the even more powerful House and Ways Committee and former running mate to Presidential Romney. I mean, how the hell does a guy like this get on to be chairman of House Ways and Means or any, anything? Don't of you wonder? You know, this damn Ryan. Jeez. Uh, the scene is a makeshift news conference inside of Ramada Inn here in Overland Park, just around the corner from the hotel's pool and arcade. In this opening statement during a, a news conference with Ryan, Roberts pauses to look into one of the cameras in the back of the room. His message to Kansas voters is quick and simple. It's also quite possibly true. This race will determine the Senate minority, majority, he says to the cameras, with Ryan nodding alongside him. And it is absolutely critical that we take back the Senate. Yeah, God. According to the Huffington Post electoral model, <coughs> um, Kansas has a better chance than any other state to single-handedly determine what party controls the state the Senate next year. This is problematic for Greg Orman, the businessman running as an independent in what recently became a head-to-head -head race against Roberts, who has been in Washington since 1981. That's because, according to a recent poll from the Remington Research Group, 56% of Kansas voters prefer, prefer that Republicans control the U.S. Senate next year. Just 35 feel it would be best uh, if the Senate remained in Democratic hands. Oh, wow, that's, 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 that's not good. That's not good. Mm -hmm. But Kansas is a very Republican state anyway. So, yeah. yeah. We're going to win this race, Robert says, and we're going to stop the Obama agenda, and we're going to do so because conservatives are uniting behind Kansas. What a horrible thought. It really, really is. And uh, scary as hell. And there's a lot more to this article, but I'd rather go to bed without the nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> uh, horrible just, nightmare. That's I'll just give back. you a little snippet on the Rothschild target Brazil Central Bank. I won't read the entire article. International bankers are financing Brazilian Socialist Party presidential candidate Marina Silva against Brazil's current president, Dilma Rousseff, in an effort to privatize the Central Bank of Brazil and bring it further into the Rothschild's financial empire. The Central Bank of Brazil is currently state-owned and part of Brazil's finance ministry, though it is semi-autonomous and a usury-based lending rather than spending money into circulation. Silver wants to transfer the bank to private interest so that the state control is ended and throw Brazil into more debt. Oh, yeah. oh you're done. Okay, yeah. I'm glad. I do but well, we only have about five minutes. The only fixes Democrats have for Obamacare is to delay the pain of implementing it. Well, and here's a happy note. Um, stop changing laws behind the closed doors. 
This is about the recent, uh, remember the vote that Scotland had? Yes. Constitutional experts have warned David Cameron to halt the government's behind-closed-doors attempt to change the way the United Kingdom is governed. In a letter to William Hague, who heads up the devolution committee set up by the Prime Minister following the Scottish referendum last month, academics, the head of the think tanks, and leading political organizations warned that it is essential that people are given a say in the shape of their political system. Uh, and what they have is uh, a little cartoon here. The game set and match, and you have um, David Cameron and his Cameron and his cronies hanging around with a drink, and they're saying, "You mean all those promises to Scotland were lies?" And then that says, "Oh, Andy, stick to the tennis. This is politics." So they were a lot of lies. They're not going to give uh, Scotland any autonomy. The warnings from a largely labor uh, politicians that English votes for English law reforms that are backed by Mr. Cameron would turn Scotland's MPs into second-class representatives in the House of Commons. So they would have no, yeah, no power no, at all. They should, go, they, they should do another referendum. Yeah. You know, that was probably a fixed vote. Yeah, probably. I would think so. They would. They couldn't allow Scotland to leave. No. They couldn't. They, they would be embarrassed to death. But anyway, let's go on beyond that. Um, this is the last, probably the last one we can do. Yeah, yeah. But it, it's really, it's really kind of interesting that over that Cuba, the little country of Cuba, they uh, sent 91 doctors, doctors yep. yeah, more doctors to fight Ebola. Right? A little, a little, little group. I saw uh, that. I was yeah. I was very impressed with that. Every few years, Dr. Leonardo Fernandez to a, flies to a nation shaken by natural disaster, political turmoil, or disease, leaving his hospital in eastern Cuba for countries that have included Pakistan, Nicaragua, and East Timor. On Tuesday, the intensive care specialist was headed to the epicenter of Ebola epidemic along with 90 other Cuban medical workers as part of a half-century-old strategy that puts doctors on the front lines of the country's foreign policy. Wow, that's an interesting thing. They have, they, they have a good medical system, too, yeah, according to Michael Moore. <laughs> the 91 nurses and doctors going to Guinea and Liberia joined 165 already in Sierra Leone, making that island of 11 million people one of the largest global um, contributors of medical workers. workers to the fight against Ebola. The commitment has drawn rare praise from the U.S. and focused worldwide attention on Cuba's unique program of medical diplomacy, which deploys armies of doctors to win friends abroad and earn more than $6 billion a year in desperately needed foreign exchange. Cuba has more than 50,000 medical workers in more than 60 countries. Wow. That's impressive. And many in nations like Brazil that pay hundreds of millions a year for their services. And others are on humanitarian missions that generate good uh, will and abroad and bolster Cuba's efforts to portray its medical system as one of the most important successes of a socialist economy racked by slow growth, shortages, and chronic and underinvestment. Cuba is a lightweight boxer which boxes in the super heavyweight classes because of uh, the foreign policy and its uh, international corp uh, cooperation, said uh, John Kerr. 
Chair of Latin American Studies in Canada, Dalehouse University, and an expert on Cuban medical missions. This is part of the Cuban political DNA. This is altruism as well as burnishing its international credentials. And despite a recent set of pay raises, most Cuban doctor salaries don't top $75 a month, less than many workers who work in tourism or other sectors that bring in money from abroad. The foreign missions almost uniformly offer the chance to earn extra pay, in many cases enough to buy a bigger home or a new car. And uh, critics of Cuba's communist government have accused it in the past of exploiting the doctors by giving them only a meager portion of the money paid for their services and keeping the lion's share for the national treasury. But those who believe strongly in Cuba's communist revolutionary ideology says a mission abroad is fundamental to the health workers' self-identity. And it goes on a little bit more, but since all men, most volunteers have at least 20 years of experience, have completed several missions overseas, and are married with children who are often adults who themselves work in the Cuban medical system. That's something? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, anyway. They sound like very good people. Well, it's it's part of their mission in life. They they raised them to do that. It's a different kind of... Uh, called, it's called give back? Yeah, it's, it's spirit. I mean, it's really brilliant when you come right down to it. And for a little country... I mean, they don't, they don't, I mean, our doctors make 75 million a year. You know, other doctors, make, you know, there's not too many doctors that, that, would, that would even consider 75 bucks a month. Yeah. You know, there's even a possibility that, you know, I think nobody would consider that. So, not here. No, not anywhere. I mean, any any place makes one of that. So, any professional, you know. But they must get, they must get a lot more perks, a lot of other perks. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe not. Maybe they're just dedicated. The two medicine's, the, medicine's a calling. Real medicine is a calling yeah. for probably, most doctors. But it's, it's been turned into a business. In the but, US. but it's probably in Cuba, it's probably, I would, probably a good thing. They've got a lot of, I guess, 50,000 health workers in other countries. Yeah. So it must be paid well, you know, much better than working in our own country. Okay. That's what they said. They could yeah. get more so doing that. Get, yeah, because they, they don't have to pay for their education, I'm sure. They must be paid for, right? Oh, probably, yeah, I probably, yeah. I would think yeah, so. country that probably pays for that. And, uh, okay, you're going to be a doctor, you know? A nurse or something. But anyway, that's enough for now. So I want to thank everybody who joined us, and join us tomorrow night when we uh, talk about uh, some union issues and talk about some state uh, 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 state governor issues and Senate issues. Yeah. And, uh, you know, maybe we'll have a prayer for uh, sanity in this state uh, tomorrow night. Yeah, we need we'll, something. We'll say a prayer for sanity, political <laughs> sanity here. That would be good. But in the meantime, enjoy the rest of your evening, folks, yeah. and talk to you tomorrow. Good night. Good night, everybody.